The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You know, experts from different disciplines, different fields, whether it's um, art or design or even things like marketing, communications, they, have, they say that colors produce different emotions and that we associate different colors with different emotions. So we're going to do an experiment um, together. If you would, when you came in, there was a blank yellow card on your chair. Go ahead and grab that and something to write with. If you're watching online, maybe you are um, sitting at your computer, grab a piece of paper, scrap piece of paper, something to write with. Um, You could use your phone, but who are we kidding? You're going to get distracted and start checking your email. So go ahead and get a scrap piece of paper. If a bunch of you are sitting on the couch, designate one person to get up from the couch, go into the kitchen, get that pen, and get a couple pieces of paper for for everyone in your group. And whoever of you is doing that, you're already actually applying this sermon. So you're already ahead. And so we're going to do a little bit of experiment. I've got some paint here, and um, I'm going to put some of this paint up here um, in this little tray that I have, and then I'm going to I'm going to paint these colors on these three these three blank canvases that I have. You'll see that I am not very artistic, um, so as I start painting, you'll see that. Bear with me. Although maybe I'll just blow your minds with my artistic ability, and uh, who knows? Maybe you should keep these for one day after I'm dead when they're worth money. I don't know. One one of the two, probably the former. Um, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint um, some colors here. I'm going to paint on this first canvas, I'm going to paint blue. Now, as I'm painting this, I want you with your note card and your pen, I want to write what it is that you associate with this color. It could be like, as you see this blue, it could be an emotion, you know, maybe um, an experience, maybe a theme that you associate with this color as I'm painting this up here. Some of you are like super into art and you're super creative and you're like already like writing a haiku or a short story, just a couple words will be fine. Others of you are, you're like, look, I'm more of a numbers person. I don't even get this exercise. There's not a spreadsheet involved, so I don't know what to do. Just do your best, okay? Write out when you see this bright blue, when you see this color blue, what do you associate with this color, okay? Well, what are some words? Go ahead and write that down. All right, now I'm gonna get um, some red. Got some red here, and I'm going to put this up here on this canvas as well. All right, when you see this color, what do you associate? What do you think of? What themes, what words, what emotions do you associate with this color? Go ahead and take a second. Jot a couple of ideas down. All right? Now let's do our last color here. Now the theme, I saved this one for last because our series is, is called Hello Yellow. So I saved yellow for last. When you see this color on this canvas, what is it that you associate with this color? What do you think of? What kind of words come to mind? Maybe an emotion, maybe an experience, maybe a, a theme, okay? I'm not gonna get the whole canvas here because uh, we don't have time for that, but that's good enough, I think. All right, what, what colors and themes do you associate with that, with that color? Now, as you look at these three colors, you're jotting down some ideas. 
Uh, maybe for some of you, you look at the blue and maybe what you associate is true blue. Maybe you associate um, authenticity or even nobility or some of you maybe are like super competitive and you're like, I think of first place like I get. I think of the first place blue ribbon. Maybe others of you see the blue and you think of like, it's kind of a cold color or maybe you think of it and you think of even sadness, pathos, commonly associated with blue. Um, the red color, some of you, you maybe you see um, heat, you see maybe passion, you see fire, or um, you see like a caution. Um, some of you, when you see the yellow, what do you see? You see bright. Maybe you think of um, the sun, or you think of an idea, like that light bulb. Maybe you think of a yellow smiley face. Maybe some of you are just like really concrete thinkers, and you're like, Mustard. That's all I got with that yellow. I just, all I see is mustard, okay? Um, whatever it is, I look at this, I see ketchup and mustard. That's all I got. All right, like, uh, it's different for everybody, but I came across uh, in one article of all places, it was actually a Forbes article, and it was a designer that was advising people if they are uh, rebranding their company or if they're starting up a company and they're coming up with a logo, this designer was advising the, that company owner or that communications department to be very careful about the color they pick for their new logo or their, their refurbished logo because colors, uh, we associate different emotions with different colors. And so they provided this color wheel. Take a look at this color wheel and kind of look around that. You can see why you'd need to be careful. If you see the, the purple in kind of that uh, bottom um, left corner, like, you know, if your color is that lavender and you're producing disgust in people, that might not be a great color for your logo. But you can see there's various things that you um, might be wanting to produce because of those colors. And so there's a whole industry that advises what should you paint your office, how should you, uh, what should you put on your branding, all surrounding by the emotions that color produces. But here's where I want you to go. I want you to keep your card out or your blank piece of paper, and you have the notes that you, draw, you jotted down about uh, different colors. I want you to draw a line and uh, on the other side of that paper, don't flip the paper over, but on that same side, just draw a line to divide it and give yourself some space. I want you to write the last two years at the top. I want you to write 2020 and 2021. And I want you to look at this color wheel. Now, every year, there's a conglomeration. It's a tapestry of different colors. There's different emotions. It's ups and downs, the whole bunch of things. But if you were to paint the year one dominant color, based on just this color wheel, for example, what would you do? Maybe for some of you, you think of the last two years or last year, maybe it's different for different years, but maybe just previous years, you look at that green on the right and you'd say fear. If I was honest, like the number one emotion of the last year is just so much uncertainty, apprehension, at times like really severe fear. And I'd have to say the dominant color was green. Maybe some of you look at that blue at the bottom and you'd say, look, there's just so much, just, it's just sad. There were things lost, maybe people lost. And the dominant emotion that if I, were, if I was honest that I, I felt would be blue, they've been years that were blue, sad. 
Maybe some of you would look at that on the left and you'd see that red and you'd say, look, if I was honest, I'd, I'd paint much of the year red. Just, I've just been angry, frustrated, enraged. I just, I've just been quick to anger. It's just frustrated and angry of what is happening. Just, I'd have to paint the years red. But what if, what would it take? Let me start here. What would it take for 2022 to be painted yellow. Look at that yellow up there. Serenity, joy, ecstasy. What would it take for this time next year, early January 2023, for you to look back and say, man, if there's one color, it'd be, it'd be just a serene, optimistic restfulness. It'd be like just a, a dominating just joy and happiness. At, at, at points, just a, a, an overflowing ecstatic joy. I want to ask you, what would it take for 2022 to be painted yellow, full of joy? Maybe say, man, a lot, I mean, wow, a lot would have to line up. I mean, man, I mean, for starters, I mean, my circumstances, like the year would just have to go well, like no surprising twists and turns. Like, let's just say things go well. Let's just say things go according to plan. Let's just start there. Maybe you say like, and, and you know what? If a little extra happened along the way, maybe I get a promotion or maybe like a, the, the company gets a good deal or maybe finances work out right or the economy works out right or, or you know, there's a windfall along the way. Like circumstances not just kind of go like I'm hoping, but maybe even a little better. Like let's just start with that. Like things would have to align, but not just that. Man, like my health would have to be good. Like I, I, things, maybe for you, things, you'd say, look, I've got a lot of fears and, uh, of wh where my health could be or what could happen to my health, and those would have to be avoided. Or maybe, you know, like things would have to, to, to be fixed with my health. I've got a, a looming diagnosis, or I've got just some chronic pains, or I've got some difficulty. Like my health would have to go right. Maybe say, look, okay, circumstances, yes. Things like finances, career, you know, that would have to go well, you know, my health, my body, but also, I mean, my relationships. Things would have to align with my relationships. I mean, my, my friendships would have to go well. I, I would have to have, my marriage would have to be going well. Relationship with kids or with parents or, or other family members, like those things would have to by and large align. They'd have to go pretty well. So honestly, look, if we look and say circumstantially, physically, and relationally, those things go well, we might round out the year and say 2022, man, paint that yellow. It was full of joy. I walk us through that because that reveals an assumption that we have. Our joy is dependent on external things. That's our assumption. Things in our life have to go right for us to have joy. But can I share with you incredible, incredible news? Could be life-changing news. The Bible confronts that and says, no, joy is not dependent on what's on the outside. It's not dependent on externals. In fact, you are offered joy. 
We, we're in this series going through the book of Philippians, and we could spend years. I mean, it's such a rich, beautiful book. We could spend years, but we're, for our purposes, these, these next few weeks, we're kind of doing a flyby of the book of Philippians. And last week, if you joined us, we did an online devotional on uh, December 26th. And we started by looking at the Philippians chapter one, the context. And the context is this. The author is writing a letter to the people of Philippi, the Philippians, and he's, he's writing a, a letter from the context. The context in which he's writing a letter is important. He's in jail. Talk about bad circumstances. He's lost his freedom. What did he do? He was just talking about Jesus. He's lost his freedom. And he says, I may, I may not make it out alive. And the likelihood is that he would be executed. And that's almost certainly what ended up happening. Is he ended up getting executed at the end of that time. And that would not have been in a very humane way. His circumstances were as bad as it could be. Physically, we know that, man, he's going to be chained, these rough iron shackles, uh, either chained in a dungeon, which would be miserable physically, or chained to a guard, which may be worse because in that time in history, their guards were notorious. They have to be chained to you, and they would often abuse and harm those that they were chained to. So he's not in a good shape physically, and we know from other books he already has pre-existing chronic uh, issues physically. He has what he calls a thorn in his side that plagues him physically. And so we know that circumstantially, it's as bad as it can be. Physically, it is no picnic for him right now. And relationally, it's abysmal. He's, he's imprisoned, so he's very isolated. He's not around people that he loves, aside from an occasional visit, maybe, that he would get. He's isolated. And on top of that, some of the people that should have had his back, some of his friends who should have encouraged and supported him, have turned their back on him and they're talking bad about him. They're trying to tear down his reputation. And these are people that call themselves Christians. Circumstantially, physically, and relationally, he is in the most deplorable place he's been probably in his lifetime. And yet you do not find another book of the Bible more dripping with joy. And what's so instructive, and man, I hope this brings you so much hope. I hope this entices you. Joy is possible regardless of what your circumstances are right now or regardless of what happens in 2022. You can find joy. Maybe you heard that this past week and you're like, I, I hear you, but man, I, I want joy. I just need to know how to activate it. I, I, I'm, I'm understanding that it's not dependent on my circumstances, but how do I activate? How do I release that joy inside? And that's what Philippians talks through. And so we're going to jump into the second chapter of Philippians today. Go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's take a look at what it says. I want you to hear this incredible secret. This is another part of the secret of joy. Look what it says. Paul says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, watch this, complete my, what's the word right there? All right, you guys fell asleep on me for a second. All right, let's try it again. Complete my, what's the word there? Joy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Watch this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
We're gonna pause there just for a second. Here's how he opens it up. He says, look, here, he's like, I've got so much joy. He's already said that. I've got so much joy, but you can further my joy. There's something you can do to further my joy, okay? Now, hold on to that. We're gonna circle back around to that in, in a bit. He says, you can further my joy, you Philippians, by being unified, having the same mind, having, ha- having being of the same spirit. And then he says, and if you consider others more significant than yourself. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything, don't do anything. I mean, that's pretty a pretty categorical statement. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Or don't do anything out of vain conceit. Don't do anything, don't touch those two things. But in humility, count others more significant than you. Don't only look to your own interests. That's important. He's not saying neglect your own interests. He says, you know, you've you've got to take care of yourself, but take care of others also. Now, this sounds nice, and we could easily just say, wow, that's beautiful. Write that on a card, you know, post that online, great Instagram post. Those are beautiful words, and I'd be willing to bet that most people in our culture that would hear those words would say, wow, that's nice. But honestly, that really that really collides directly with how we operate and how we think so often in our culture, don't we? Because how we fundamentally, what we say, I mean, this is not just implicitly, but explicitly, it's what we say, right? We say, hey, you look out for yourself. You be true to yourself. You follow your dreams. You be who you want to be. You don't let, don't let anyone stand in your way. You go be who you want to be. It's follow your heart. Look inside. Follow your dreams. And subtly, even though we may say as a culture, oh, yeah, that's nice. You know, be kind. Be nice to other people. Fundamentally, as a culture, what we set up is something that starts from this standpoint. You look out for you. I'll look out for me and let's just try to be nice to each other. You look out for yourself. I mean, how could I expect you to do anything different? You be true to yourself. You look out for yourself. I'll look out for me. And as I'm looking out for me, I'll just try to be nice. And yeah, of course, look out for other interests as well. I mean, like, and then here's what we'd say. We'd say, as I'm going after the things I want, if there's space, if there's margin, then I'll also think about your your interests. Or if looking out for your interests somehow aligns with my interest, then I'm in. But don't expect me to put aside my interests for your interests. See, this is fundamentally colliding with what we often, how we operate as a culture. And so let's, let's settle into the tension here. And he starts off with joy. He's gonna, we're gonna come back around to joy at the end of this text. But here's, which is right? Do we put others' needs first? Or do we put our own needs first? And I think you already know the answer to that. The Bible is saying something that is profound. It's actually offering that you will find joy as you don't put your own needs first, as you put other needs first. I remember the last time Rebecca and I, um, this was a couple years ago, we took the kids to, to Disney World. 
and uh, we get in the, the minivan, and the kids are in the back, and we're driving into Disney World, and we're pulling into um, to that, you know, where they, where like you, you're arriving, and you're pulling into the parking lot, and they, there's like a, a station on the radio that you can turn on, and you can actually hear the happy Disney music like playing in your car, okay? And and there's happy characters, and and there's happy people waving you in, and the music's on. But if you've ever known, if you've ever taken kids to Disney World you know what you're about to face, okay? And so we're driving in and I remember like my hands are like 10 and two, okay? And Rebecca's sitting next to me and the kids are already singing and they're happy for now, which is good. And I remember I'm staring straight ahead and I remember we had a conversation, no matter what we face today, no matter what's gonna happen in this, this theme park, okay? We are going to choose to have a good time, okay? If you've gone to Disney, you know what I'm talking about. It's, and that's really true of any vacation, okay? When you're about to go on a vacation, if you make a list of all the things you want to make sure happen, Okay, I've got this vacation. I've saved up for it. I've waited for it. I've saved vacation time. I've saved money. I'm going to go. It's going to be incredible. Okay, here's what's going to happen. Man, the flight's got to be on time. The weather's got to be perfect. The food's got to be good. The accommodations have to be, have to be right. Everyone that I'm going with has to do what I want to do. Okay, if all of those things have to happen for you to have a good vacation, all of us know what's about to happen, right? You know that if you go in with that expectation, if your goal for your vacation is how can I get the vacation to align perfectly with what I want, if I have to align that vacation with all of my desires and check all of those boxes, you know that will not, cannot be a successful vacation and you will, and you will leave feeling disappointed and frustrated, probably angry. Here's what we already know. If you operate in this world, putting your needs first and all those boxes have to be checked off to find joy, we already know that that's it's not gonna work out. But Paul takes it to a completely different level. And I want you to see where he goes. Pick it up in verse five. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says this, look, Okay, which should your mindset be? Should you look out for yourself or should you put others first? Which of those should we do? Well, here's what Jesus did. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, doesn't that just make you want to celebrate reading that passage? Man, praise God, our Savior. His name lifted up. I love hearing that beautiful, beautiful passage. One of the most beautiful passages in scripture. What does it say that, it, that, that Jesus did? He said, well, this is what Jesus did. How should you operate with this life? Well, here's what Jesus did. God himself came to earth in the form of man. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man. I mean, can you imagine? We could just stop there at the condescension 
of God that he would be limited by a human body that has to sweat to keep itself cool and sleep to restore itself and eat to give itself energy that has needs, the infinite one, confining himself to a human body. But he submitted himself. He became a servant. God the Son submitted to God the Father but came to serve us. He came to rescue us. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus. He came to rescue us. He came to save us because we were lost and dead in our sin. And he came down and he was obedient to the point of death. Can you imagine that? The author of life died, allowed himself to die. But it wasn't any death. It was one of history's most notorious, excruciating deaths. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. But the story doesn't end there, does it? He rose again from the dead. And God the Father lifted up Jesus. And Jesus now reigns King of kings, Lord of lords. His name is above every name. He had the, the greatest condescension and humility and served all of creation, but he's lifted up in all glory, seated on the throne. He's the name above every name. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's what Paul says. How should you operate? Well, here's what your Savior did. He became a servant in a way we can barely imagine. He goes on. Look what he says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul labored among the Philippians. In fact, when he arrived in Philippi the first time and started preaching the gospel, they, a crowd rose up, they, they took him to the, before the magistrate, and they beat him with rods and imprisoned him before they even gave him a trial. He suffered greatly in Philippi. And then, and then his ministry continued to them along the way. But he, he's the one who, when he arrived, he brought the gospel to them and they came, they came to faith because of the work that God did through Paul. And he's now saying, look, I'm no longer there with you, but he's like, here's what I want you to do. Work out that salvation. Work that out in your life. The work that Jesus did to save you once and for all through his sacrifice and his servanthood, his obedience to death on a cross. Now work that out. Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you bear the name Christian, that means that you've said, Jesus is my king. I'm a part of the kingdom he came to set up, the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of heaven. I've, I'm part of that kingdom that's not of this world, but I am a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And so he says, okay, if you've become a citizen of that kingdom by the work of Jesus, live out the culture that your king set up. The culture of his kingdom is one of serving and putting other people's needs before your own. 
He says, look, if the work of Jesus, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of Almighty God. He says he calls us sons and daughters. We call him Abba Father. He says, if you're adopted into that family by the work of Jesus, then live according to the culture of your now heavenly family. Live, a, live according to the culture of your heavenly father. Live according to the culture of Jesus, the way he lived out his life to serve and to put your needs before he was, able, he was willing to die on the cross to fill your spiritual need. Now live that out. He's saying he's making you into the image of Christ. That's what the scripture says. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. He's producing things inside of you to make you into the image of Christ. That's what he's saying. And he says, and when you do that, when you live as if others are more significant than yourself, when you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, when you attend to other, other people's needs and not just your own, you'll be a light in this crooked and twisted generation. In other words, we're not the first generation, not the first culture that has been a me-first culture. In fact, it goes all the way back to the garden and the fork-tongued advice of the devil when he said, you want to be like God? Now remember, they're already made in the image of God. But he said, no, God's holding you back. Don't do what God's telling you to do. No, you go get yours. You go get that forbidden fruit. Don't let God hold you back. He just knows then you'll be like him. And you know what the irony is? Paul's saying, no, you, you want to be like God? He's making you like himself. Here's who God is. He came to earth and sacrificed himself for you. Now go be like that. I want you to see these last two verses here that we're going to cover today. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad, look at this, and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want you to notice he begins and ends. He bookends this whole section about joy. He starts by saying, hey, you can complete my joy. And then he comes all the way back around in verse 18 about talking about his joy, how he rejoices in them. And he's teaching us something about joy. He's modeling what he's preaching. He says in the beginning, hey, I have so much joy for a multitude of reasons that we'll see through Philippians. But he says, you can further my joy. My joy is based on so much on you and on you thriving and following off, off after Jesus. You can further my joy. That's where he starts. And then he ends. He says, I rejoice in what God's doing with you. And he says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering. And what he means by that, that's a phrase he uses elsewhere in some of his other letters. In other words, he's saying, look, I might not make it out of here alive. I might face a torturous end and be executed, which he was. But even if that's my end, I rejoice. And he uses this metaphor. He says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on your offering of faith. Now, what a drink offering is, is this was used not only in on the Old Testament law, but also in other, other ancient cultures as well. A drink offering would be taking usually wine, and it would be pouring it out ceremonially um, as an offering to 
to God. And so often the way it was prescribed in the Old Testament is they would put an offering on the altar, like let's say like a lamb, and then they would pour the wine as a drink offering on top of that. And so what Paul's saying is you are living out your life as an offering back to God, a pleasing aroma to God. And if I'm poured out and exhausted, my life is poured out on top of your offering for you. If I've given my life for you and other cities where I've shared the gospel, he says, I, I rejoice. You see what Paul's done here? He's saying, my joy, it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about me, oh, I'll be happy if I get out of here. I'll be happy if I stop suffering. I'll be happy. No, he's saying, man, my joy is so much dependent on on you, Philippians, on you thriving. See, here's the big idea we find from this text. If we're living lives trying to fulfill our own happiness, joy will always be elusive. If we live our lives selfishly, always trying to meet all the needs, all the things we want to go right circumstantially, financially, with our career, professionally, all those things. If we're living our life just waiting for things to line up relationally, we've got our needs, we've got the, the friends in our life, you know, they, they, we have needs, we need them to fill. Our, our spouses, we have needs, we need them to fulfill. Our kids, we have expectations, we need them to fulfill. If we're waiting for those things in our lives selfishly to be fulfilled, if we're waiting for everything physically to line up for us to find joy, if we keep operating through life putting our own needs first, if we're operating through life selfishly, and none of us want to think of ourselves as selfish, but those things come out in very tricky, subtle ways. If we're operating waiting for our needs to be met selfishly, joy will always be elusive. But one of the secrets to joy is putting others before yourself. You know this. The logic of this is sound. You've seen this in your life. I want you to think back to the last couple Christmases. And I want you to think about what, when you think back, what are the highlights? You know, I can think back, and when I think about the highlights of the last few Christmases for me, it's not the things that I received, the gifts that I received. And it's not that I didn't get on nice things. The people that in my life, friends and family, were very generous and that actually did bring me joy. Just their, the way that they, the, the gifts that my family gave me, that was wonderful. But those things come into my life and leave, they break, they rust, they, you know, whatever. The latest and greatest version of that comes and goes. I mean, those things were fine and wonderful, but man, the things that still bring a smile to my face are the, the joy I was able to bring into someone else's life. The seeing, the, the, the look on my kid's face when they opened up something and their eyes lit up. Nailing it with, with Rebecca, giving her a good gift and she's like, wow, you know, or, or giving a good gift to a friend. I mean, those things, you know the truth of it's so much more fun to give a good gift than receive a good gift. Both are wonderful, but it's so much fun to give. You know the logic is sound. You know the logic of putting others first is sound because here's the thing. You know of someone that has everything that you currently want and is still not happy, right? 
And inversely, you know of someone that doesn't have nearly what you have and is overflowing with joy. We know all the external things. We know all of those things are not what brings joy. There's other things. And one of the secrets that begins with, with joy is, what if we put another person's needs above our own? I rarely do this, but I'm going to do this just because I, I just, I think it's so true. There's, an, a, there's a, a cheesy way to think about this that I remember hearing when I was a kid. And it's taking the word joy and turning it into an acrostic. And it just shows the priority order in our lives. And it's just so true. Here should be the priority order. This is the secret to joy. Jesus is first. That's the J. Others are second. That's the O. Yourself is third. Jesus, others, yourself. That's the secret, one of the key secrets to joy. It's not inverting that. I'm going to put myself first, then the other needy people around me, I got to meet some of their needs, I'm going to do that, and then if I get to it, Jesus. No, that's a recipe for misery. That's a recipe for joy always eluding us. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Notice, it's not others first. When you put someone else first and you make them, what you're doing is you're placing them in the role of God of your life. And what happens then is it's not just serving others, plural. One or two people that you really need to please become first. If Jesus is not first, that other one or two people that you're desperate to please become first and you're never actually able to please them and the rest gets out of balance and actually you're so working to please them, you actually get into an unhealthy and possibly toxic, maybe even abusive relationship, and you can't even meet your own needs. And so you're not doing what this says, is not only listen to your own interests, but the interests of others. You do have to care for yourself, that's biblical. You you do have to care for yourself, you just prioritize others over yourself. The the way to put it correctly, according to this passage, the only reason we put others first is because Jesus put, through his death and resurrection, he put our needs above his in in that time. The only reason we put those things is because we first and foremost prioritize Jesus. Start with Jesus. Then let the Lord do the profound work in your heart of no longer living for your own needs first and foremost but release the joy of putting others second. I don't know what's going to happen this next year, but if you want to end this year having seen it be painted yellow, it's bright, it's it's full of joy and happiness. You know, one of the secrets is putting others first. You know, um, you can't make everything aligned to make yourself happy. But it's way, way easier to look in your life and say, you know what, I could bring joy into someone's life. Sometimes you can't. But man, way, way easier to say, I'm going to work to bring joy in other people's life. And as you start painting that in your life, watch how much joy floods into your Here's what I want to do. I want to make this, each of us to make this concrete. So I want to do this. Can everyone go ahead and grab 
that yellow note card. Take it back out that yellow note card. If you're watching online, take out that scrap of, of paper. And go on to the back where there's nothing written yet, if, you, if that's blank. And here's what I want you to do. Grab a pen, and I want you to take a moment, and I want you to write the names of the people that are most in your life, the closest people in your life. Start with your spouse, your kids. Maybe it's a, a friend, another family member, maybe a coworker. Just write a few names down. Let's make it concrete. Let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's not just hear this and say, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And let's, for our own sake, man, let's release that joy into our life this year. Write down their names and then just ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. You don't have to share this with anyone. This is for you. But what would be some things you could do to serve these people and bring joy into their lives? Yeah, the Lord may bring other people, may bring a stranger, may bring an old friend might pop up in your life this year and you could serve them. Sometimes that's easier. The common, the uncommon, random acts of, of kindness, sometimes that's easier. But living a life day in and day out with the people that you know and love and live with and living a life to bring joy in their life and serving them and putting their needs first, man, that's something. What if you could bring joy? Can you imagine the formula of you living to serve them after serving Jesus? and them living to first serve Jesus and then you, man, that's an incredible formula for joy. What are some things you could do to serve them? You may or may not share this with them, and look, we're gonna have to have grace on each other because none of us are perfect. We may not get it right. What I want you to do is I want you to fold that up. Go ahead and do that now. I hope you continue writing that list throughout the week. What I want you to do this week is I want you to fold that up and I want you to put that in your pocket and I want you to carry that with you every day, that yellow card with you every day as a reminder, you have an opportunity for joy and one of the secrets is to make, to consider other people more significant than yourself and to serve them. But for some of you, the first step for you today is just putting Jesus first. And maybe you've walked through your life and if you're honest, you're like, look, if I'm honest, if I'm really honest between God and me, he knows I've put myself first. And maybe you've even said, look, I'm a Christian, but I've got my own life I'm living and I'm just hoping God blesses it. And I'm just living my life, but I don't really put Jesus first. What it means to follow Jesus is that he's your king and you serve him first. It's like Thomas. What happened with Thomas is, yeah, he was following Jesus, but when he saw the scars on Jesus' hands and on his side, when he saw what Jesus had done to serve him, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, my Lord and my God. Maybe today you need to say to Jesus, I've known about you, Jesus. I've even said I've followed you, but I've never made you my God. I make you my king, my Lord, my God today. If that's you, let me lead you in this prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If that's you, you want to take that step. Make this your, your simple prayer silently there, whether you're sitting on your couch at home, you're sitting here, just pray this. Say, Jesus, thank you 
silently say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. You did the work to save me. I'm responding to that work by making you my king and my God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, if you're watching online, I want you to grab your cell phone and I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. And the reason is we want to mail you a Bible. We want to send it in the mail to you. We want to help you as you're beginning this journey of following Jesus as your King and your God. If you're here and that was your prayer, man, stop by guest services. We'll put a Bible in your hands today. If you're not able to do that, then just take a second. You can check it off on this card where you say, um, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. You can check that off. Put that in one of the giving boxes as you leave. We'll follow up with you. We'll get you a Bible as you're beginning this journey. Church, we're going to close our time today, and we are going to sing, and we're going to, this song is a prayer to Jesus, saying, Jesus, we want joy. Give us that joy. Give us that joy in our lives. So would you stand with me as we close with this song together? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.